So this phone call I had originally recorded several, I think actually a year ago, I think this was my first call I ever had with a complete stranger. And this person was Steve Woodmore. He has the world record for fastest talker. And he also had terminal cancer. So we were discussing in the first half about the world record and in the second half about terminal cancer and his death, which will be coming because of that disease. Uh, So like I said, this is one of my first episodes, or my first episode, I think. So there's some background music that you can kind of hear in the track. Um, I try my absolute best to edit it as much as I possibly could, and I did it pretty well for what I had. Um, I had to go through a lot of trouble to get this up, but I wanted to put this up because I had met a woman who had terminal cancer too, and I wanted to put this episode up and try to edit it. That way I can give some solace to people that have these diseases as well. Please make sure to follow me on all socials at Jexplex, J-E-X-P-L-E-X, and rate the show if you can on whatever platform it is that you're listening on. And also my YouTube is at Jexplex2, and I should be posting a couple videos on there, not about the show, but my own essays on a couple topics that I've been meaning to make them on. And yeah, uh, I think on Spotify too, you guys can leave a comment or a voice audio, and I'd be more than happy to respond to those comments and give your thoughts on, or give you my thoughts on whatever. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yo, Jexplex, answer the fucking phone, dude. You have incurable cancer, and you also mm-hmm. won the world record for fastest talker in the 1990s. And I read that, and I was like, wow, like, that's that's so interesting. Like, I kind of want to learn more about this guy, because that's, like, what a life. But at the same time, I don't, because I kind of wanted you to tell me about it. You know, tell me more about this world record and how you even ended up practicing talking that fast. Um, it all starts when I was about seven years old, I think. Um, that's school. We had a special assembly where one of the children was chosen to read a famous poem in front of the entire school on stage. Uh, guess who was chosen to read that poem? It was me. The poem I was chosen to read, I don't know, I don't know if you know this poem in America, Jabberwockies, I was chosen to read that poem. And so I'm standing on stage in front of the school, seven years old, and I'm reading this poem, and all of a sudden I felt this tap at the back of my leg. And I look round, and it's, it's the head teacher telling me to slow down. What I didn't realise was that I was so excited and I got so nervous about it that I'd been speeding up. And that's when I first learned that I realised that I had the ability to talk really fast when I get nervous. As I've grown up, I've realised that it's not nerves that's making me talk fast, or it might be nerves because I don't actually suffer from nerves. I'm not nervous at all. I mean, you've seen me. I really don't get nervous at all. And I realised what that is is what other people would suffer with from nerves is I take that energy and I channel it into something that I'm good at. In this case, it's talking. So that's what I've discovered over the years. I didn't think anything of it until, well, I must have been 
approaching my 30s because from the time that that incident happened when I was seven years old up until my late 20s, I spent my entire life slowing myself down. The exact opposite from what I've done because whenever I got excited, whenever I, whenever that nervous energy hit me, I would start talking fast. So I, I had to learn to slow down to, to make myself um, to communicate with people. When I was at work one day and we heard about the guy that had the record before me. I, I heard something of this on the radio or somebody at work heard something of this on the radio and they said to me, you know, we know that you can talk pretty fast when you want to. Um, why don't you uh, see if you can, uh, you know, can you talk as fast as this guy? And I listened to him and I thought, well, actually, I can probably talk faster. We found out what it was that he did and we found out what we needed to do the world record. And just one lunchtime in work, I decided just to have a quick go. And just unrehearsed, completely unrehearsed, I was in, I was within 5% of his world record speed. And I thought, wow, you know, I've not rehearsed it. I am that close to the world record and I've not rehearsed it. So how fast am I going to be when I rehearsed it? So that was in January 1990. How do they measure? Is it like a specific sentence that you have to say? And then they measure how fast each person can say it, or do you get to choose what you say? Like, how is it measured? To choose what I said, mm. I got to choose what I said. I just happened to choose a passage from the book that I was reading at the time. The book that I was reading at the time was Patriot Games, a Tom Clancy novel, and I just happened to choose the page that the book was open at. I started the chapter. I forget which chapter it is now. I'd have to look at the book. I started the chapter, and because the world record is words per minute. I was aiming for the existing world record was about 520 words per minute, and I was aiming for about 550 words in 60 seconds. So, from the start of the passage to the end of the passage, I counted 550 words, and that's what I was aiming for. And that's what I practiced at, and that's why I started in January 1990. Now, it took me nine months until September 1990 to break down that barrier of that 5%. You don't realize, when you're very close to a world record, you don't realize just how hard it is just to take that final tilt, that final nudge, to take you over the top to beat that world record. And I had to do it by learning how to breathe correctly, because the more words you can get out per minute or per breath, the faster you can go. All the time you've got to breathe, you're slower. At some point during this call, do you mind reading an excerpt of anything, really, just so I can hear how fast it is that you can speak? Yeah, that's no problem. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm looking for your local... What's your local paper called? Local paper? Um, you could probably just look up, literally, just our newspaper. Are you getting ready to... Are you going to read an excerpt really quick? I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to prove to you that I'm saying every word, because we're going to... You're going to look at the same page that I'm looking at, and I'm going to do it for you. How does that sound? I'll let you even choose the story. Okay. They say you're not saying words, but if you read along with what I'm saying, you know exactly what I'm saying. So, and I chose it local to you because you know what the stories are about. So if you want to find a story there... Um, we can do the one that says uh, Code Compliance Division. Yeah, I do. okay. Whenever you're ready. Wow. You said every single last word. <laughs> That's... I read it, didn't I? <laughs> you did, every single last word. Actually, you were reading so fast that um, 
It took me a second, but after, like, when I caught up to you every single last time, I had heard that you said the word that you just said. That's, yeah. that's pretty, that's fucking nuts. Honestly. Oh, that's completely unreserved. There's no possible way I could have known about that before, was there? Tell me more about the day that you had, um, that you actually officially broke the world record. Um, I'd gone into a television studio. I, I forget now, because I'm talking about 32 years ago. I'd gone into a television studio to just show my talent off like I did with you. Um, but I thought, what I'll do is, is I'll actually take my world record text with me and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll play that with it. And we're in the television studio. It was, a, it was a kid's television program, children's television program. And we're in the television studio. And then they said, it was a bombshell. They said, right, you're on in two minutes. They'll, by the way, it's live. And there'll be probably 16 million people watching. And I'm like, what? You know, you didn't mention anything about being live. My first live television performance. And they give me two minutes notice. I thought it was going to be pre-recorded. Bang, that nervous energy hit me. I started off, and within about five seconds, I suddenly realized I was being faster than I ever was being before. So not only did I aim for the 550 words in a minute, but I exceeded that by going up to 500. I actually passed my target, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm very fast here. Let's really go for it. And I went right up to 595 words so i managed to squeeze another 45 words in and i did that in 56.01 seconds um and i had to stop at that point because i was out of breath i couldn't continue anymore so it should have gone for 550 words in 60 seconds i did 595 words in 56 seconds which absolutely smashed the previous world record and that world record um hasn't been broken since I'm currently talking to the person that still holds the world record for the most amount of words said in 56.01 minutes. 56.01. How do you feel having known that you broke a world record in your lifetime? It's a crazy world record. It's a stupid world record. I mean, it's not a serious world record. I'm never going to be up there with. I'm never going to be up there with people like Usain Bolt. You know, it's, uh, it's just a crazy, crazy world record. But do you know what? I'm the only person in the world that can do it. <laughs> it might be silly, but. I wouldn't even call it silly. I feel like, and I'm not saying that you feel this way, but I've had conversations with other people where they feel like their talents aren't as important as somebody else's due to the fact that their talents aren't perceived to be as important as somebody like Usain Bolt. At the end of the day, like like you said, only you can do it. <laughs> Nobody else can yeah. fucking do that shit, and that's crazy. That's unique. Yeah, I was in the game. Not many. Do you have family members? Children. How did they react to knowing this information? Did you ever actually find yourself using that talent actually in your day-to-day -day life? No. Whenever I interacted, no, my kids haven't made jokes about it. Oh, they might have made jokes about it in front of their friends and said, oh, yeah, my dad's the world's fastest talker. Mm -hmm. Or if they, if their friends didn't know and one of their friends might make a remark, you know, oh, I can talk fast. And they say, well, my dad can talk faster, you know. <laughs> but apart from that, no, I've never I've never used it in um, in my daily life with my children, with, with family. No, it's never been a, it's never been a part of it. That's interesting. Honestly, if I could speak that fast, 
I'd be doing that shit all the time. Once you had uh, broken this world record, the point in time leading up to this point in your life where you had broken the world record, at what age was that around? You said around 30? I think I was 30 when I broke the world record, yeah. What were you doing for work at the time? I was a salesman for uh, an electrical retail store. So, you know, yeah, would you believe it? The world's fastest talker is a salesman. A sales clerk is what you'd call them, I guess. So when you were younger, I'm going to bring it back again to when you were seven, did you have any dreams about what you wanted to be as an adult? Not really, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, when I was younger, uh, my father was a police officer. And when I was younger, I wanted to join the police force. But as I became an adult, I realised that I don't have the uh, I don't have the personality to be a police officer. So that was the only dream that I had. If that answers that question. What did your mother do for work? She was a civilian member of the police force. She worked on the civilian staff preparing arrest warrants. Um, are you currently retired? I yes, I took early medical retirement in 2019. I'm going to assume this is around the time that you had found out about the cancer. Can you tell me a little bit more about the information leading up, or the days leading up to the time that you found out that you had cancer? Yeah, um, in 2012, my mother, we were on holiday, we went on holiday with my mother, and she noticed a little swelling on the side of my neck and asked me what that was, and I said, I've got no idea. And I thought it was a cyst, and I didn't think anything of it at all. That was the first time that there was something wrong, but at the time, I didn't know there was something wrong. In August 2013, I had probably the worst sore throat that I'd ever had. It just came out of nowhere, and it was exactly where this little... And it was only a tiny little swelling, but it was exactly where this swelling was. And um, antibiotics wouldn't shift it. Um, it eventually went after about three weeks. But then this swelling started to get bigger. And at the same time, I started to get what's called night sweats. Now, these night sweats are, you can't describe them as normal sweats. They are not normal sweats. You are absolutely covered in liquid from head to foot. And you could take your night clothes off, wring them out, and you'd get a cup of water out of them. The sweating is profuse. And that started happening to me as well, once or twice a week increasing in frequency until it was happening every time that I was asleep. By that time, it was December 2013, I thought, I'd better go and see a doctor about these sweats and this lump on my neck and see what's going on here. And I went and saw my doctor, and within two minutes of me saying, I've got sweats and a lump on my neck, she's instantly referring me to the hospital and sending me off for tech. He said, I'm sure it's good to sit, but you need to have this checked out. Now, in the UK, we get free medical treatment, but it doesn't work at the speed of life. When a doctor says they're going to refer you to a specialist or a consultant, you're talking about two, three months. Everything from that stage moved lightning fast, and it was just three days later that I was seeing an ear, nose, and throat specialist. He took a look at me and said, yeah, I'm sure it's just a cyst, but we're going to get a biopsy done. I had the biopsy done the next day, and then they phoned me in the day after that with the results, asking me to come in. By this time, it was December the 24th, which is Christmas Eve, December 2013. I've gone in, and I've seen the ENT specialist, and sitting there, there's the ENT specialist, and there's two nurses. Now, normally, when you see a consultant, you see just a consultant and a nurse. But this time, there were two nurses in there, and I didn't make that connection, and I should have done. I didn't make that connection. So I went in there and said to me, he said, right, we had the results of your biopsy back, and he said, it's not a cyst. And I said to him, well, what is it then? And he said, well, it's, uh, it's a tumour. And I said, what do you mean it's tumor? He said, well, it's a malignant tumor. And I, I looked at him and I said, are you telling me I've got cancer? And he sort of looked at me and he said, yes. Yeah, he said, but it's only cancer with a little C. And I said, what does cancer with a little C mean? He said, well, and I'll never forget what he said, because it made no sense at the time. And I thought, you're joking, aren't you? But he said to me, if 
you're going to get a cancer, this is one of the best ones to get. And I thought, I don't understand what that means. And then he said, you won't be seeing me anymore because this other nurse, the new nurse, she's the cancer nurse specialist for the hospital, and I'm passing you over to her for her care because you're going to be treated from now on by the cancer unit. That's how I found out. Did it really hit you that day? No. 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 Um... A lot of people would assume that. A lot of people would assume that being told you've got cancer out of the blue would really shock you. But if I'm truly honest, I already knew. I knew there was something very seriously wrong. But I just didn't want to admit it to myself. I knew that the night sweats, I knew that the swelling wasn't normal. I was hoping they were sick. I was hoping nothing else. But the night sweats were the big giveaway. I knew that that was, that was something wrong. And with the power of Google, the power of self-diagnosis of Google, every Google search I did came back to the same thing every time. As soon as I put my symptoms in, the same thing came up every time. So at the back of my mind, I already knew what was wrong. At what point do you think that it truly hit you? When you say, um, you know, you've got cancer with a small C, and it, 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 I was actually relieved. More, more than more than shocked or anything, I was actually relieved. Um, because then I, knew, then, then I knew what my demon was. My, my demon had a name. It... it uh, I had an identity. I had something I could fight. <laughs> yeah, I had something I could fight. I didn't. I didn't break down into tears. And I didn't panic. I just. It was an acceptance. You know. Okay. This is what I've got. Now, how are we going to deal with it? And in the days leading forward from that point on, well, that was in again. You had sent in the in 2013, correct? Yeah. So now we're in 2022. How do you think that your feelings on cancer have changed from that point to now? in life, all of us ask ourselves, and we all do it, okay? Some of us might deny it, but we all do it. And at some point in our life, we've asked two questions. The first one is, is there life after death? Well, I don't know, but I will know one day, as will you. The other question we ask ourselves is, and we wonder, we say, how is it going to end for me? What, what, how's my life going to be over? How am I going to finish my life? Well, barring accidents and things like that, I know I've already answered that question. I know that cancer is going to kill me. And with that knowledge, you get an inner peace. And it really is an inner peace. It's a, you know, I know how I'm going to die. I know what's going to kill me. It's going to be cancer. You know, and it's great. I don't have to wonder. I'm not going to get a heart attack. I'm not going to get a, a stroke. I'm not going to get a brain hemorrhage. It's cancer that's going to kill me. It's going to slowly eat me from the inside. And it's going to shut my systems down. And that's how I'm going to die. And that actually gives me an inner peace. That's a very good and interesting perspective and answer. Do you have any faith? No, not at all. I don't deny, but I don't have any faith. I believe that others believe, have that. I know you said that you don't, but have you ever really pondered what happens after death? Or have you really come up with anything on your own? Or is it just pretty much what you said? I'll let you know. I'll let you know one day. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I I'll see. let you know. Um, no, uh, I, I don't worry about things that I can't change or do anything about. It's, 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 I, I'm, my life is too short to worry about those sort of things. Uh, you know, I'll know the answer to that question one day, and that, that, that's good enough for me. From this point forward, uh, I see that you talk about your cancer a lot and the effects of it. Would you say that one of your current missions in life is to kind of spread your story? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people out there. I, I read a figure somewhere, um, I don't know how accurate it is, but I just read it somewhere that one in two people in their lifetime are going to be affected by cancer. That doesn't mean that half the population is going to get it. It means they're going to be affected by it. So 
It might be that a relative of theirs or a child or a parent of theirs catches it, but they're going to be affected by cancer, one in two people. So there's an awful lot of people out there that are yet to tread the path that I'm treading. I've seen people who've got cancer that immediately retire to the bedroom, lay in bed, and they act like dying swans. And I think they actually make themselves purposely ill to look like sunken skeletons, to look like skeletons with sunken eyes. Because they, they, it looks like they're not fighting. It looks like they don't care. And I'm seeing other people that are quite nonchalant about it. And I just want to, I just want to let people know that yeah, there is a way that you can carry on and still have some sort of life. It doesn't define you. Once you're told that you've got a disease, it doesn't define you, and you can carry on doing things within reason. Yes, it's going to put some obstacles in the way, but I don't see obstacles. I see challenges to be overcome. And that's what drives me as well, just overcoming challenges. That's part of what made me go for the world record. If there's a challenge that I like to overcome it, and it's the same with this cancer. It's a, it's something that, it, it, it's a challenge. And, and I want to spread the word that there is a way of living a, a semi-normal life where it really doesn't affect you that much. Overall, you seem like a very, very positive person. Where do you think that this positivity comes from? I, I don't know. I don't know. My, my parents my parents were both very quietly spoken, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where it comes from. I do know that uh, back in 2010, I had a brain scan done where in a, in a CT scanner. I did two scans. The first scan, I was talking fast. The second scan, I wasn't saying anything. And when they compared the two scans, they realized that I used a part of my brain to talk fast that most people don't use. That's where the talking, I think, comes from. I think it comes from a part of my brain that is that I've just learned naturally how to use. I don't know why, or I don't know how. I've just learned how to use it. I mean, I, I scream. I'm going to be screaming tonight. Um, I scream three times a week, three hours at a time, and I managed to fill that with things to say. And I have no idea what I'm going to say until I actually click the button to go on air. So I don't know where it all comes from. It just it just comes. It just falls out of my mouth. So it must be that part of my brain that I don't that other people don't use. I think. That's a hell of a story. Well, it, it, it would be if it wasn't for such a fact. If it was a serious world record, I'd have all the medics all poking and prodding me all the time. But <laughs> it just it, because it's a silly world record. Nobody actually gives a damn, do they? So, but you know, it's a. It's just one of those things. I have to think of people, when they dismiss my world record and say it's a silly world record, I look at them and think, okay, well, if it's actually, you do it. So overall, over the course of your entire life and everything that's led up to this entire moment, what's one message that you'd really just like to share with the world as a whole? Obstacles are there to overcome. Obstacles are challenges. They're not barriers. They're challenges. I don't know. That's really cool to hear from you, especially with everything you've already talked about. And you seem you seem very, very, very at peace with everything. You seem like you've thought about it quite a bit, and you seem like you've really come to terms with everything already, as you said. Yeah, I have. I have. I have. I, I can't. I, my whole outlook on life is very positive. I'm a very, I'm a very optimistic person. My whole outlook on life is very positive. I try and turn every disadvantage into an advantage. I try and turn every challenge, every barrier into a challenge. I always look on the positive side of things because there are so many negative people out there that, that I don't want to be one of those. I, I want to be positive. I want to be smiling. That's just the way that I am. I just look on the positive side of everything. I know that people are going to see the clips and they're going to obviously feel the energy that you're giving out and the positivity and the peace that you give. But when I speak to you, I really, I truly do feel 
this feeling of acceptance that you give off. And it's really, I think that just in the 30 minutes of talking, 32 minutes so far of talking to you, you've actually influenced my thinking just by the way that you talk. Your message is definitely going to be shared and heard and felt by a lot of people. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with somebody that was so, I guess the word is whole, it seems so far. I've never, I've never thought of myself as whole. I must admit, I've never thought of myself as whole. I just, I just, I just don't want to get depressed over it. I mean, when, depression is half the battle, isn't it? When you get depressed over something, it's, it's all downhill. I want to be positive about it. It's, uh, it's that same energy that broke the world record. I'm now focusing into keeping me alive. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick figure. Mm-hmm. In 1970, that the cancer I've got is follicular lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. In 1970. The 10-year survival rate, that's from diagnosis, living 10 years, was 4%. In 2010, it was 74%. That's how far cancer research has come. That's why I cannot be negative about it. That's why I can only be positive about it, because in that short period, which is 40 years, it's gone up from 4% to 74%, with an increase of about, I can't even do the math at the moment, about 35 times, about 350%, something like that. I can't even do the math. So the longevity of the people who survive has been increased. So 74% of people are now surviving 10 years, whereas 4% of people were surviving 10 years. Now, if all those people, including me, who are still on treatment, just sat around being miserable and just letting cancer beat them, then that's not going to help anybody in the future, is it? So being positive is also part of the treatment, and it helps other people. That's just crazy. I mean, I've never, I, I feel um, almost caught off guard by just the acceptance and the wholeness that you give off about the entire situation. It's not like I didn't expect that. I could tell that completely about you just by the way that you talk about everything. And I've seen your content. I've seen what you put out there. I know how you think about it, but it's just very almost touching in a way to just hear you talk about it. I believe that your words, uh, just everything that you're saying right now are going to have impacts on the world well, after, well, well after you and I are both gone. Well, I hope it does. I hope I can help somebody else. I'm very reluctant to say it, right? But I hope I can help somebody else be happy about having cancer. I think I know. What I, mean. I, I I truly think you will. <laughs> I just I just can't get I just can't go on a downer about it. I just can't. It's uh, it's not me. Is there anything else that you feel like you'd want to share about your life? I medically retired in 2019. When the COVID cancer, because my cancer is a blood cancer, it's also an immune system cancer, which means I'm very immunocompromised, um, and I'm at danger of catching any any any, any little virus, anything going around mm-hmm. will uh, will affect me. In fact, that's exactly what happened to me in 2019. I, I caught a, a, a bacteriological disease called Haemophilus influenza type B in January 2019, and it damn near killed me. Knocked me off my feet for a year, left me in hospital for the best part of the year. And when I came out of hospital in December 2019, I was crippled and left in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. You don't see that on the uh, on the thing, because obviously I'm sitting down, but I need to use a wheelchair because of the damage that HIV, which is what Haemophilus influenza is called, um, did to my lungs. It left me with another condition called bronchiectasis, which is another incurable condition, uh, which is a direct result of the cancer and being immunocompromised. But because I'm that immunocompromised, whilst I was in hospital during 2019, I knew that I would have to change my life drastically. And then 2020 came along and the COVID pandemic hit in March 2020. Well, as soon as COVID appeared and as soon as they said it's dangerous for anybody with a blood cancer, which was me, I decided that I could no longer work. I could no longer do anything. I've got to keep away from people. So I took early medical retirement and I cashed in my pensions and took early medical retirement. And since then, 
I've been a virtual prisoner in my own home. The only time I leave my house is to go out to medical appointments. In the last two years, that's all I've done. I did try a short break, short holiday in 2021 for four days, but that wasn't a success because of my the danger of me getting ill. I started to I started to get ill on that holiday, so we came back. I'm now on chemotherapy again for the third time because my cancer's come back. It it, it does this. It's um because it's incurable. It is treatable. You can treat it to knock it back into remission, but it comes back and it keeps coming back. And so I keep having chemotherapy to put it back again. So I'm on chemotherapy for the third time now. And I saw my consultant the other week, and I said, "Look, how long do you think it is going to be before I can actually go back out and have a normal life again?" And she said, "Not this year. So it's going to be." Three years before I can get back out and have a semi-normal life again. Now that I'm being treated and feeling a lot better with the treatment, I'm throwing my energy into promoting myself, which is something I could have done 32 years ago, and I deeply regret not doing it. Would you say that that's probably your biggest regret? Yes, that is my biggest regret. That is my biggest regret. I sulked. When I broke the world record, the guy I took it off of, he uh, he was a very, very, very nasty person, very famous person, but very nasty. You don't realise how nasty he, how nasty some people are, and he was a very nasty person. He made life very, very difficult for me, so much so that I just thought, I don't need this. You know, I'm not a professional. I'm not a professional entertainer. I just, I just broke a world record. That's all I'm interested in. So I decided not to capitalise on it, not to do anything, and I decided to let this guy run around claiming all these claims that he wanted to make and let him get on with it. So I just let him get on with it. And it was only uh, since all this has happened that I decided that it's better late than never. But, yeah, if I do, looking back, if I had one regret, it's that I didn't avail myself of the opportunity 32 years ago because I had a lot of opportunities that I turned down that I should never have turned down. I might actually be a millionaire now if I hadn't turned them down. <laughs> I think that you're absolutely right. I do think that it's never too late. Right now, with the way social media is set up, I'm 100% sure that it's going to come back to you. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. I'm, 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 doing, I'm doing everything I can, including things that I swore that I'd never do. So I'm doing them.